I remember the days when we first got here back in 1979, we didn't have a pianist. We had to borrow one who made herself available from time to time. And uh, it was a little while, and opposed to, I mean, I had to do the music leading, and that didn't go over very well. But now we've got uh, some very faithful musicians, and we appreciate that so much. Well, between a rock and a hard place, our key verse this morning is actually verse 6. is a very familiar verse. If you have been saved for any length of time and you've been in church and heard any messages, uh, especially towards salvation. But we're moving on to a word that we need a weapon for. We need a weapon of defense. And that word is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. I believe that we live pretty much in a self-righteous world. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven because they've been a good person. Everybody thinks they're okay with God because they haven't killed anybody or because they haven't robbed or stolen anything. Well, that verse says, "Be uh, but ye are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So when you read that verse, but we are all, is an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. How do you, how, how, what's our road to God? What's our, what avenue do we have that will lead us to an eternal destiny with Christ? Because basically he's saying there really isn't anything intrinsically good about me. Now I can in the eyes of man be a good person. I can be a kind person. But that falls short of the righteousness that would bring me into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or with my Heavenly Father. So while a vast number of religions in the world, past and present, elevate works as a means of salvation, certainly Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, along with several very clear verses in the New Testament, those expecting their good deeds to carry the day are going to be very, very disappointed. Self-righteousness has no bearing on where one is going to spend their eternity. Now, the righteousness of Christ, that is a different element in the equation of salvation. At the age of 13, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I didn't come with my own righteousness. I did not tell the Lord that I am worthy. I came because I knew that I was unworthy. I knew that I was unacceptable. Or as Romans 3.23 would have, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. And not only that, but I realized that if I was going to have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, that I would have to have some form of righteous standing to do so. And so when I accepted Jesus Christ, God the Father clothed me in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is the righteousness that gives me the standing that I have today with Christ. Not because I'm a pastor. Not because I am a husband. I say a good husband. But you have to check my wife on that. But the reality is this. My standing before God is because I accepted what Jesus Christ did in my place. And that's what I'm trusting in. Isaiah, in addressing Israel and her backslidden condition, had reached a place in that they were continuing to keep the feasts. While at the same time worshiping pagan idols. They had one foot in Judaism and one foot in the world. 
They allowed the law of Moses to guide and direct them as to the external activities. But they were allowing the world around them, the uh, people of idolatry, to control what was going on inwardly. So everything they did outwardly was for a show. But inwardly, that's what God saw. And he wasn't very happy. I want you to mark it down in your notes. Matthew chapter 23 tells us very clearly from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ what he saw in the hearts of the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, and, and whoever the other one, the other group was there, the teachers, if you will. And so it had become so pervasive that God was raising up the Assyrians to be his chastisement for their disobedience in the northern ten tribes because they exceeded the southern two tribes in their idolatry. Now, they reasoned that they were righteous. They reasoned that they were in good standing with God because they kept some elements of the law while still indulging themselves in idolatrous living. And we know that uh, the, the, one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt have no idols or images before you. You were not to bow down, we're not to worship them. So, in an earlier chapter of Isaiah, God's message to Israel was this. He said, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips, do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. So it wasn't the scriptures, it was the precepts of men. And so they had an external religiosity, but there was nothing inward that pleased God at all. Self-righteousness is when we is when one determines themselves to be righteous, not by a biblical definition or truth, rather they are determined, or they have determined, that they are right with God based on good works, or at the very least, their good their, their goodwill one day will outweigh their bad. So somehow they think that God has a scale and he will put all the bad on one side and the good on the other side. If the good outweighs, <laughs> we're in like, well, there, God doesn't have any scales. God has a plan. And that's all God has. He has a plan. He has a plan to redeem sinners. And that plan is his son, Jesus Christ, through faith. So, they have determined uh, that they are right with God based on good works, or at the very least, that their good will will one day outweigh the bad. It's the idea of trying to work oneself into God's saving grace without, com without committing to living a life that pleases God, rather living one's life to please self, and while prioritizing one's fleshly desires. So God has a weapon in his armory for us to use against self-righteousness. Father, we pray that you'll guide and you'll direct. Meet the hour of this need. Lord, you know exactly what it is. You know, Lord, you know what the need of each and every heart is, whether gathered here in the sanctuary or at home. Lord, we thank you for all that you have brought online with us. We thank you for all who have made it to the house of the Lord today. And Lord, we're here for a purpose. We're here to magnify and to glorify you. But we're also here to learn. We're here to learn what the word of God has, what you have to say. And Lord, we ask and pray today that the devil will, will be rebuked 
from the hearts and the minds of each and every individual, or even at least from this building, completely, so that the Holy Spirit of God will have free course to speak to each and every one of us. Lord, bring honor and glory to yourself. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. So just two points, and I don't know if we'll get to the second point or not this morning. And it is simply the problem with self-righteousness. The problem with self-righteousness. The short answer is that self-righteousness possesses no efficacy whatsoever towards the redemption of our soul. Self-righteousness has no efficacy. It has no power. And it has no place in God's plan. If we, are, if we were capable of working out or balancing our lives through good works, then wouldn't you agree with me this morning that God wasted his time sending his son to the cross? If we could have accomplished by good works what only Christ did on the cross, then why send his son to the cross? Wouldn't that not be foolish? And yet God is wise. He never does anything foolish. And so that's just a common sense, if you will, if you would think that the idea through that we would be able to see the foolishness of somehow thinking that we can bypass the death of Christ as our substitute and somehow believe that I can establish myself as a system of good works that would be equal or superior to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now we know that on the cross it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all what? Unrighteousness. What work could I possibly do or what group of works could I possibly do that would, er would eradicate my unrighteousness? Can you give me a formula for that? You can't. Because none exists. Now, I know I have covered this subject in, in a different format or sermon, but it bears repeating here under this subject of self-righteousness. There is absolutely no equitableness under any system of works. There is none whatsoever. If there was equitableness, God would have given it to us. So in your mind, how do you determine what is equitable? How many good works will it take to outweigh the bad works? How many works do I need? How many good works do I need to attain to what Jesus Christ did on the cross? No, no, no way to know. So tell me what you think is sufficient to win God's saving grace for you. What do you think is sufficient? Is it the same for everyone or does God have a sliding scale? Do you have a sliding scale for all of humanity? How many good deeds are necessary to eradicate a misdeed? Is there any, or is there somehow a sliding scale to offset one or, or the other? Folks, I have read, most of us have read, some of us have read this, but I've been here uh, coming from 45 years in January, and every year before as well. But for the last 45 years, I have read completely through the Bible. From Genesis to the book of Revelation. I think we tried to figure out how many sermons I have preached in these almost 50 years that I've been in the ministry. It's in the thousands. 
That means you have to prepare. I have never come across a sliding scale. I have never come across any portion of scripture that would even indicate there is a possibility of me attaining to something that would be superior to what Christ did on the cross, not even equal. Now, the reason we can't know any of this is because God not only doesn't have a sliding scale, he never ever mentions one, nor alludes to one in his word. I do not work for my salvation. I was saved at 13, and the things that I do now, I do for the Lord. Those are the works I do because I am saved. And so, an online dictionary says this about self-righteousness. Having or characterized by a certainty, especially an unfounded one. <laughs> That's pretty interesting, don't you think? That one is totally correct or, or morally superior. And he said, the, the definition says, and there is no founding or no basis to arrive at that conclusion. That we have reached a place morally or spiritually where we can come into God's grace. God's saving grace. Now, there actually is a founding for the idea that good works is, is able to earn God's saving grace. And that source is Satan. Why would he want you to believe that you, as an individual, could come, to the, come into the family of God by faith in the person of Jesus Christ when he can lie to you and he can deceive you and tell you, just be a good person? God, you, you get to heaven, just be a good person. Don't listen to those fundamental individuals out there who always want to talk about salvation by faith through grace. Just be a good person. Do the best you can. God never says that anywhere in his Bible. Those are extemporaneous thoughts that come only from Satan and his crowd. And so, one does one really want to trust Satan, seeing that Jesus has, what Jesus has to say about him? Now, I don't know anywhere in the Bible that Jesus has anything kind to say about Satan or the devil, which are one and the same, not one. Let's turn very quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Reading in verses 1 through 4. Now, again, this is the Apostle Paul inspired of the Holy Spirit of God. And it says there, beginning one, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are who? That are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. His work and his ministry is to blind and to deceive. That's his nature. That's his character. And let me tell you, he was able to lead one-third of the innumerable host of the angels in heaven to rebel with him against God. Folks, he can deceive you and he can lie to you too. That's why we need to be in the word of God to find out what God has to say. Second Corinthians chapter 11, a little bit later on in the, in the book. No century has ever been without a, a lack of these individuals. 
But it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 13, he said, For such are false apostles, uh, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of light. Now, we use the word trans, uh, to transform back from the, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 and 3. Uh, but they're, they're translated, transform, uh, from, the, from the Greek into English using the same word. But the, the definition, the actual Greek words are different. Although the process may seem to be the same. The one in Romans is the word medeske, uh, no, is metamorpho. Metamorpho uh, is what we get our word metamorphosis. There's a transformation of something going from one thing to something other than what it was. This word here is the Greek word medeske, meditsu, which says it is a falsehood. There is lying, there is deception. He is, he is putting forth uh, uh, falsehoods in this. And so he says here, for such a false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the, uh, into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. And so... Uh, in uh, chapter 4, he uses, he uses lies to blind the eyes of the lost uh, to God's truth. In our text we just read there, Satan pretends to have men's best interest at heart, but he only allows as much truth as is ne necessary to draw you into his lies and his deceptions. Now, somebody might tell someone a lie, and he said, well, it really wasn't a lie. It was only a half lie. Some of what I said was true. That's the tactic that Satan uses, and you don't want any part of that. Be upfront, be honest, be truthful, because there is no such thing as a half-truth or a half-lie. It's either, it's either completely true or it's a complete lie, one or the other. There is no other way around it. And so here is a serious warning from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Where he says, but I fear... Lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Listen, come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ and becoming a part of the family of God. It's simple. Amen. It's not complicated. I don't have to go through a lot of religious this. I don't have to go through a lot of religious that. All I have to do is come to a saving faith, a realization that I can, I can, I can exercise faith in what Jesus Christ did on my behalf. All I have to do is tell the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. And Lord, I, I want you to come and take up a residency within me. I want you to live with me. I want to live my life for you. And then God, the Father, puts our name in that land's book of life. The best I can do for you is to put your name on the, on the church rolls if you join the church. But God, the Father, puts our names in that land's book of life. And he says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, for whosoever's name is not found written in the land's book of life is what? Cast into the lake of fire. So, I don't know why man wants to make things so complicated unless it's a means by which they can control. Now, I don't want to control you. I have a hard enough time controlling myself. I don't need to, I don't need to bear your burdens and your problems in my life. I'll pray with you and I'll pray for you. But the reality is this, that God does all the work his son did all the work. All he wants us to do is to accept him as our savior. So Satan steals the truth right out of the hearer's heart. 
Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And Jesus was speaking there. And uh, if we can turn just very quickly back to Mark. Yeah, we got plenty of time. In uh, Mark chapter 4. Now, in, in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9 is about the sower. The sower and the seed. Some fell on the good ground, some fell on the, on the stony ground, and so on. And, and that which didn't land on fertile ground it withered and it died. And uh, that which was sown on the, on, on the fertile ground, it grew and, and realized a harvest. And that is a, uh, a parable, if you will, of the word of God, which is the seed being sown in the heart of an individual. And the Holy Spirit wants to nurture that seed to the harvest of a child of God by faith. And so he says there in um, Mark chapter 4 and verse 15. Uh, anyway, verse 14, says, the, the sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they and these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no roots in themselves, and so endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the, world, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, which uh, as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things uh, entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, which as uh, hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some in hundred. And so you and I have to decide and determine for ourselves when the word is presented, are we going to reject it? Are we going to accept it? Once we accept it, are we going to embrace it? And so, the biblical truth is that man is, is only ever saved by faith in Christ alone, plus or minus nothing. God, through his son, does not need our help. The only help he needs from me is for me to share the gospel of salvation and to share the word of God with you. That's the only help he needs. And even at that, he gives me what needs to be said. He has enlightened me, uh, and now he wants me to enlighten you. And there are times when God wants you to enlighten me from the word of God as well. When Brother Steve preaches, we get enlightened. So it isn't like I have arrived. I have not reached that place. There's a lot of room for spiritual growth. Amen. Uh, I, I hope and I trust and pray that I will continue to grow until Jesus Christ comes. Amen. I trust that will be you as well. But remember in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace are you saved. Oh, it didn't say works. It didn't say for by grace and works. It didn't say by grace and good thoughts. It didn't say by grace and kindness. It says, for by grace you say through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. When does a gift not a gift? When you try to pay someone for that which they give you. How many of you at Christmas time Bring those presents from under the tree. Oh, man, just what we want. Dad, oh, I wonderful. Dad, I want this. Let me give you some money for this. Not a gift. Not a gift. A gift is something that you give freely. 
And what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he did freely. What God gave through his son, God gave freely. God freely gives us the faith. To not only understand, but to receive as well. So for by grace that ye say through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Without receiving Jesus Christ as one's Lord and Savior Christ, then you have no audience with Christ at the Bema Seat. You will appear at the great white throne judgment, and there you will yield, kneel, and bow. And acknowledge that he is Lord of Lords and there is King of Kings, but it's too late. Once you breathe your, your last breath, praise God, when Martha breathed her last, last breath, she would boom, just like that, in the presence of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Very seldom did she ever miss a service with Doug. They were here, sitting right about where Chris is sitting, or actually maybe where Jan and uh, Burton are sitting. One of those two pews here somewhere. Yeah, but uh, they went with us on a couple of retreats. Sometimes almost, almost the longest married couple that went there. We loved having them. They loved being there as well. And someday we're going to join her in heaven. But because at one point in her life, she walked away from her Roman Catholic background and accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And she is in heaven today, having found the Lord, having seen the truth. So there is nothing you or I can add to what God has done through his grace and his mercy. God's mercy is given to man, has, got, has given to and done for man, what man does not deserve and his grace is withholding what man does deserve. How has God secured the efficacy of these two elements of his grace and his mercy for you and I? How has he done this? Through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life and shed his, and shed his sinless blood that we might be saved. When it comes to our salvation, the only righteousness God the Father recognizes is the righteousness of his Son, Jesus Christ. When I got saved, I was clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through, the blood, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Any other method is works. Negligible. No efficacy. If I'm not trusting in and believing in and allowing God the Father to cleanse me in the blood of Jesus Christ, I will never see heaven. I will never get there. So what is God's plan that is equitable for mankind? Faith, faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Anyone and everyone, rich and poor, can exercise faith, amen? Everybody can exercise a saving faith. 
And so faith in the person of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross in giving his life for you and I. Faith is something everyone, poor or rich, can exercise. And when our faith is, is placed in God and his son, trusting Christ as a, uh, for our salvation. Well, then everyone and everyone can be saved. That's, what, that's the only thing that in, 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 uh, in our mind that could possibly even be. And, and we're hearing a lot about equitableness today. About equity, 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 equity. Well, the only equitableness in faith is faith. Is faith. Isaiah was right when he penned. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Or as Paul wrote in, in the book of Romans 3.23, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. Just a quick and a brief warning to the redeemed of the Lord. We are also at times guilty of self-righteousness. The manifestation of self-righteousness in the believer's life takes the form of feeling one has reached a place in his or her life where the very things that God states in his word as necessary daily for spiritual growth and spiritual maturity are no longer necessary. I don't have to pray like I used to pray. I don't really have to study my Bible like I used to. I don't even really need to go to church anymore. I have reached that place where sin no longer has any power over me. Well, guess what? It just did. It just did. So studying God's word is, un is unnecessary because my life is okay with God. 2 Timothy 2.15, remember, study is in the imperative. Study that shows itself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be shamed of, rightly dividing the word of God. Church attendance is no longer necessary because I know more than they do. I'm smarter than the preacher. Well, good. And besides, who needs organized religion? The answer to that is everyone. Everyone. Because God is the one who organized it. Now, man-made religions aren't worth a nickel. But the faith that God has established is necessary for our progressive sanctification. However, for a growing relationship with the Lord our God, we need to be in the Word of God, follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God, and we need fellowship with the local church. Hebrews 10, verse 15, 25. 25, I wrote 15, it should be 25. That... Uh, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But so much the more you see what? The day approaching. What do you think about what's going on in the world? What do you think about what's going on over in the Middle East? If you knew your Bible, you'd be thinking to yourself, okay, buddy, it's almost getting ready time for time to go home to be with the Lord. And, and you get your ears tuned. And, and, if you, if you, and if you're deaf, it doesn't matter. You're going to hear that trumpet anyway. And when that trumpet sounds, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is going to take place. The rapture. And the men and women of saving faith are going to be caught up to be with him forever. The rapture is going to take place. But that's, you know, when we're in the word of God and we're in church, fellowshipping and, and, and churches that are preaching the word of God, you're, you're going to be reminded of these things. So, in this area of self-righteousness, we are warned in the book of Romans, for I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. We sing that song. We're going to sing that when we close. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every day, we wake up and say, Lord, I need you today. 
You and I have, on this side of the rapture, have and will never arrive at a place or a time when we don't need the Lord. Never. The more you learn from the Word of God, the more you realize, the more you need Him. Not less. Not less. And so, saved or unsaved, humbleness is the defensive weapon against self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the cocky attitude that we have arrived and we have just become like the Pharisees. That's what's happened. An outward devotion to God, motivated and tainted by the flesh, inwardly. Your choice. You can go on trusting in works, only to find out that God meant what God said. As a child of God, realize that you haven't arrived at anything. We need him, and we need to continually learn as we grow and as we go. Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together, gathered, gathered around your throne of grace. And Lord, we're living in such a day and age where, Lord, I'm afraid that a lot of churches, Lord, that they, they, they're more of a country club, more of a social gospel. Lord, they don't really preach the word of God. They don't really challenge the people of God. They don't put the message of, of salvation through faith. And Lord, Satan is using preachers, whether in Baptist churches or in Methodist churches or in Lutheran churches or in Catholic churches or in Greek Orthodox churches or in whatever church that you might want to name today, who are not really preaching the truth because they're more interested in preaching a, a social gospel. They're more interested in make, making people feel good about their sin. But Lord, there's nowhere in the Bible that we should ever come to it and ever feel comfortable about any sin element that is, exists in our lives. Lord, it should break us. It should cause us to mourn. It should cause us grief and a desire to, to rid it out of our lives, to forsake it, so that, Lord, we can have that unhindered, unencumbered relationship on a day-to-day -day basis with you. Lord, I know that's what you desire, and that's what I desire should be as well. So, Lord, to guide and direct this invitation time. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As a child of God, I'd ask you this morning, have you established a sense of self-righteousness that says, well, that's okay for these weak-kneed people. I'm a strong individual. I, I, just don't need that. I, just, I just don't need to go to church all that much. And I don't really need to read my Bible. I think I can figure it out. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't figure the devil out. Adam and Eve couldn't. Thousands upon hundreds of thousands and millions of people down the centuries haven't been able to figure them out. And they went out into a crisis, crisis eternity trying to do so. Truth of the matter is, we need God. We need to walk with him. We need to be involved in every aspect of the things that he has made available to us so that we could grow, so we could challenge one another, pray with one another, fellowship with one another, sing with one another, eat with one another. We're going to be spending an eternity with one another. We better get used to it here now. Amen. Preacher, pray for me in closing. I have not been as faithful as I could be and not as faithful as I should be. You know, I believe that all the years that my mom and dad were married, my dad really depended a lot on my mother for any spiritual insights. And it wasn't until he finally got saved in his 50s. Even then, I believe she was still the driving force. But you know something? 
That's a tremendous burden for my mother. One that my father should have been carrying for all of us. I'd encourage you, man, if you're, if you're, you're trusting your wife and your wife alone, shame on you. Pick up that spiritual leadership and you walk together. You work together as children of God to make sure that God is honored and glorified in your home and in your marriage and in your life. Preacher, pray for me in closing. I want to I make sure that I don't get caught up into this self-righteousness. They say this one preacher, whether you're at home or here, I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't think I've heard it quite as clearly that I, I've been trusting in works. You know what? A lot of people trust going to church is their salvation. Or they're trusting in the tenets of the church, that that's their salvation. That's not Christ. That's not faith. That's works. Preacher, pray for me in closing. I really don't know where I'm going to spend my eternity. I know where I want to spend it. I just don't know. Don't leave here this morning because the Bible says you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt how you can spend your eternity with Christ. Preacher, pray for me. I have no idea where to spend eternity. Would you pray for me in closing? Brother Steve, when we come and turn on the hymnals to I need you, Lord. 270.